For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Duval, welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag podcast. The Jags are 0 and 5 in 2021, and they've now lost 20 straight games overall. My goodness. So, coming off a 37 19 loss at home to the Titans, the Jaguars will now travel to London to host the Miami Dolphins. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, how are we doing today, brother? Oh, man, we're doing all right. I'm slowly uh, slowly losing the ability to count on my fingers and toes here uh, how many games the Jaguars have lost in a row. So hopefully we can stop that soon, man. It's, uh, it's been a tough ride. Yeah, one more game and you're done, unless you've got an extra toe <laughs> or finger we don't know about. Maybe, maybe. We don't know. Maybe I can start uh, counting other appendages. Maybe we'll uh, stack them up, but who knows, man. It's, it's just tough. It's tough to see this team go through this, especially with – you know, the young guys that are here, obviously, you know, most of them haven't been around for all this, but they get to hear it every single day. And even though, you know, like I mentioned that some of these guys run around, it's probably going to be tiring for them to hear it repeatedly over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But, um, you know, they've contributed to five of these games themselves. So no one is blameless at this point for the Jaguars. Um, today, we're just going to kind of start off with some news, injuries and such. And then some general observations from uh, week five and just what's going on with the Jaguars at this point. And then we'll look ahead to the Jaguars week six matchup against the Dolphins in London. The annual home game returns now that COVID is uh, at least somewhat under control. They will be the Jaguars will be uh, hosting that London game again every year, taking away a home game. Fortunately for Jaguars fans this year, the AFC got nine home games. So they still have the eight home games that you would normally have uh, dating back to the 16-game schedule. So not too bad this year, but they will take on the Dolphins in London on Sunday. Reminder to check out genjag.com to keep up with all, all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. Excuse me, And a big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. All right, so Brandon Linder, that's the big injury news. He's going to be on the IR, should miss four to five weeks with a high ankle sprain and an MCL injury. Obviously not great to see Brandon Linder go down. Yeah, not at all. I mean, he is the glue, I don't think, only of the offensive line, but of this team. He's been around here uh, the longest out of any member of the Jaguars. I'm pretty sure, 99.9% sure. I don't have the numbers. but Yeah, at this point, I he, think. That's... He's, he's been around forever, and I mean, he's he's just been 
everything that you could ever want. I mean, he's been loyal to the franchise through everything, and he plays some great football. I mean, I really do think that this offensive line is going to struggle without him. Obviously, the center is the signal caller, and you know he gets everybody uh, in the right spot and doing the right things, and and that's irreplaceable. I mean, think about it. That's kind of like losing your quarterback just up front. You know, it doesn't affect the whole offense, but it affects the offensive line, and this offense is going to go as the offensive line goes. So. Wish him speedy recovery. We definitely need him back, especially if we want to start putting some wins together. Yeah, I think fortunately you do have Tyler Shatley, who has a lot of experience at center and at guard for the Jaguars. He's very strong. He's not Brandon Linder, but when you're talking about getting a backup in there, I don't think you could feel much better than what you've got with Tyler Shatley. Yeah, he like you said, the experience. The experience is there, and that's the only consoling factor here. He has played well in the past, so hopefully we're not missing too much of a beat here. Um, I do have a lot of faith in Shatley, but I mean, still, that's, a, that's an impact player you're losing. Hopefully he can come in, and, and we won't miss too many assignments, and then you know we can keep things rolling. Yeah, and he was limited today with a groin. Obviously, you don't think that's going to be a factor the way Urban Meyer talked about it today. Um, and then Ben Barch, he's also limited with the groin. He's filling in for AJ can on at right guard ne- right next to the center. Barch has been playing well so far. So hopefully that's not an issue there. Tyson Campbell, the rookie corner, we all know about him. He's still day to day with a toe injury. Uh, he missed last week and he was limited on Wednesday. Today is Wednesday that we're recording October 13th. Roy Robertson Harris, he's day to day, still limited. I mean, Myers said that he should be back two weeks ago, said he should be back last week, said he should be back this week. So I don't really know what to think about Roy Robertson Harris at this point. He's been dealing with um with a ankle injury, I believe. Yeah, I mean, Barch, that's a tough one. Um, I, I really think he was on his way to supplanting AJ Can as a starting right guard just based on how well this O line has performed, especially this past week against the Titans, the way they were blocking downfield, double teaming to the linebackers. I mean, they did a fantastic job. Tyson Campbell, I mean, our cornerbacks, it don't really matter who's out there. They're getting beat all over the place, you know, minus Shaquille Griffin. So I really don't care who's out there at this point. Just somebody make a freaking play. And Ray Robertson Harris, same thing. I mean, we have 20 defensive linemen. So hopefully somebody can step up and, and it's not too big of a loss. I mean, we haven't really had him much this year. So hasn't really been able to make much of an impact. Yeah, it would be nice to get Roy Robertson-Harris and Tyson Campbell back on the field because I do think they make you better. How much better, I'm not sure. But the interior of the defensive line has been playing very well without Roy Robertson-Harris. Um, cornerbacks, like you said, outside of Shaq Griffin, not so much. Miles Jack, kind of another big injury situation here. He's day-to-day still, but he missed Wednesday practice. DNP for Miles Jack on Wednesday with that oblique injury that – knocked him out of the game in the second half against the Titans. So you obviously want your most talented defender back on the field as you head to London. We'll see if that's able to happen. Marvin Jones, the wide receiver, uh, you know, one of the top two receivers on the team, bar none. Uh, Not injury-related, but he did not participate in practice today, personal reasons. So you'll monitor that, but obviously – he'll be expected to be back before this weekend. Yeah, hopefully everything's all right. You know, you don't ever like to see those, you know, really unspecified misses, you know, whatever. It's family-related, illness-related, whatever. Uh, You know, hope everything's going okay with him because he's a leader on this team as well, and you really need him out there. Yeah, illness, they would indicate that. So at least it's not that issue, but yeah. You do get a little nervous. everything's fine with him. You do get a little nervous with, you know, with, with everything that's going on with like the COVID and stuff, though. Sometimes it's, you know 
sometimes it'll pop up later on that COVID list. I don't know if they have released that yet this week. So that's the only thing that I would be mildly concerned about outside. Like I said, illness, they do indicate illness. So, yeah. So, uh, overall, obviously you want miles Jack back. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything too concerning right here. You're not going to have Linder for over a month. Um, you just need Shatley and Bart really to, to be able to, tough it out through those groin injuries the shipyard project which uh, many of you i'm sure know about hotels condos entertainment down by the stadium that passed 17-0 unanimously passed uh city council vote so you'll be seeing all sorts of fun stuff getting under construction next year uh downtown by the stadium at the shipyards it's about damn time draw people in draw people to the games draw people downtown it's going to help with you know travel it's going to help with you know just just turning the downtown stadium area really into the epicenter of jacksonville and that's what it needs to be you have an nfl franchise located smack dab in the heart of downtown you got to do something to make that you know a a attractive place to be all the time yeah, and I think this is a big step in the right direction for that uh, in more ways than one because there will be entertainment. There will be places for people to stay. Uh, it's going to be just a big, big development for downtown Jacksonville and for the Jaguars. Long-term stability there. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. So now we'll move into some general observations at this point in the season and from week five, the loss of the Titans. Uh, Urban Meyer, he said some odd stuff after the loss to the Titans. And again, on Monday following the game, it seems like this coaching staff and uh, things going on within the building are pretty strange. But, you know, he talked about having to research the fact that Miles Jack does not play very well when he has to communicate the calls, and they fixed that this weekend. Talked about not knowing about James Robinson's second-half usage in the game and not knowing why he wasn't in on the goal line and not micromanaging. Talked about how they haven't practiced the quarterback sneak live, and so that's why they haven't been calling it the last couple weeks. Uh, kicking a 53-yarder with a guy that's never made a field goal more than 46 yards in his uh, football career. And then you, you see not getting Visca the ball. There's just all these things going on, lack of communication in the secondary. What do you make of all this? Because it all seems to point back to coaching and, and leadership at the top. I mean, it definitely points back to coaching. And that's something that we've all been concerned about over the past couple weeks. You know, I, I do start to wonder, is this too much for Urban? You know, it, I think – as a coach, I think his approach coming into this was was trying not to be so, you know, strangulating of, of the coordinators, of the personnel, of the team, just because this is his first in, in the NFL. But maybe he's been too loose with things. I mean, like you said, there are some comments in there that were a little concerning. Specifically for me, it comes down to the personnel and the way he contradicted himself, you know, on on saying that he doesn't want to micromanage, but then also saying, well, I'm not really sure why this guy was here, why we're not doing this or why we're not doing that. If you're not going to micromanage, and I'm totally okay with that. Let me get out there and say that first. I'm totally okay with not micromanaging, especially when you're a guy that doesn't really have a lean one way or the other uh, when it comes to offense or defense. I mean, Urban Meyer really is your uh, quintessential CEO type of head coach. Um, But if you're going to be that type of guy, then you can't come out and then, you know, not necessarily condemn, but, you know, kind of be, off base with what's going on on the field. You know, if, if you're going to be that CEO hands-off guy, you've got to be able to, you know, trump things when you think that 
the correct calls are not being made or when, you know, situations arise and you don't like what's going on, you've got to make those changes. So I'm not necessarily concerned uh, that he wasn't micromanaging, but I am concerned that you're going to come out and then kind of, you know, lay some complaints and kind of lay some question marks to what was going on in the field. You've got to be one way or the other. And as a head coach, you've got to, you know, you, you've got to check those things. Hey, Carlos Hyde is down here on the field. I mean, I don't necessarily think that was the issue on that play, obviously, but put that Dan was Robinson. Process, though, right? Yeah, that it, was about the process. It the is decision about, making. It is about the process. And and if you want to talk about, you know, the quarterback sneak, I don't understand the argument of, oh, we haven't done it live. Well, nobody really practices a quarterback sneak live. You're not going to line Trevor up in practice and let him sneak it up the middle. You know, you're just not going to do that. I mean, it's really basically pretty simple. Trevor's going to walk up. He's going to look at the line. He's going to see where they're adjusted. He's going to tap the center one way or the other, and the line's going to part the season. That's really all it is. You don't really have to practice that. So, you know, the fact that they just say he's not comfortable with it, and then he comes out and says, I'm absolutely comfortable with it. I'm ready for anything. I mean, <laughs> it just it really kind of shows the disconnect, and, and it really sucks because I personally think, you know, yes, we're 0-5, but I do from week one to week five, this is a completely different football team. I think, you know, yes, it took a little bit of time for, for the coaches to get things together, but you're still seeing some really big fundamental mistakes that can't be made. And and you can't keep having these situations pop up and rise all the way down the line of the season, or you're going to find yourself in these kinds of holes, you know, all the way through. And it, it really sucks when you see a team fight like this, play like this. At some point, it's going to wear on them and it's going to wear them down. So they've got to figure it out quick. And whatever they've got to do in that room to, you know, determine, you know, who gets to make this call here, who overrides this here, what I want to see here, that's got to be determined and figured out before you go into the game on Sunday. You know, hey, when we get in this situation, give James Robinson the ball. He's been busting his ass all day long. Why are we not giving the ball? If we're not going to run the quarterback sneak, you know, let, 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 let's get something effective. Give it to the ball to the guy who's been working his butt off 100 rushing yards in the first half. I mean, granted, the line did not block worth a darn, and I think there are more issues there than just the play call, but it just it, it all piles up, and it puts us in the position we're in right now. Yeah, and it's so weird about the offensive line on that play because they pretty much dominated the Titans on every other running play <laughs> throughout the game. So it was a weird one. Um, and if the offensive line did do their job, I have no doubt Hyde would have got in the into the end zone because, I mean, he, there's nothing wrong with Carlos Hyde at this point. Obviously, you do want James Robinson in the game. Uh, and I just think all this stuff we just talked about, it's coaching. Uh, it's a It's a head coach that's in over his head. It's an offensive coordinator that tries to get a little bit too cute. Um, defensively, I think it's less about coaching and more about talent. We'll get into that in a minute, but you brought up James Robinson. I want to talk about his season a little bit. Uh, 5.8 yards per carry James Robinson is averaging. That's tied for third best and, or excuse me, tied for second best in football uh, behind only Tony Pollard among guys who have carried the ball at least 30 times. He's tied with Nick Chubb. Uh, I mean, he's just, playing out of his mind and the offensive line, especially the guys on the interior, they've been really doing a good job creating some space for him to work. But James Robinson is making guys miss with his jump cuts. He's running through people around people. His vision is just so good. Uh, I can't say enough about how this is a guy who, you know, last year he could have snuck up on some teams, right? Cause nobody knew who he was. He was a undrafted free agent. 
not only is he matching the level of play from last year in which he was at a Pro Bowl level, in my opinion, he's far exceeding it based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, he's he's absolutely surpassing it. And, you know, it just goes to show the kind of back that he is. And it really sucks that it took them, you know, three and a half-ish weeks to figure that out, to figure out what this guy can do for you. And I remember very vividly, you know, prior to the season, talking about the ways that this offense and that these coordinators can get Trevor Lawrence in a position to be successful, and it was lean on the running game. Give James Robinson the ball. Let him be the 1,000-yard back that he is. And I truly believe if he was getting you know, the amount of carries that he should be getting from the start of the season, he'd probably be the leading rusher in the NFL. The offensive line has yeah. played phenomenal. They have absolutely uh, blew my expectations out of the water. I really did not think this was a strong group, but especially on the interior of the offensive line, they're blocking extremely well. And James Robinson has a lot to do with that. If you go back and watch some of the tape, he's very patient. He's not getting to the hole before their space. He's not telegraphing where he's going with the ball to the defense. And that keeps the linebackers from being able to step up and fill the holes. He's staying behind his blocks. He's letting them progress downfield. And then when he gets to space, I mean, he's just absolutely blowing through defenders, blowing by people. I mean, he doesn't have the breakaway speed, but he's going to get you, like you said, six, seven yards of carry. I mean, 5.8 yards of carry through five weeks in an NFL season is absolutely phenomenal and he's right up there with the top backs i mean tony pollard surprising to be where he's at but i mean he's he's a great uh one-two punch with with he's so fast he's so fast so well and so shifty but guys like nick chubb i mean that's a name that's a guy that you want him to be on a list with you want him to be in that upper echelon of backs and he's doing it it just sucks that it took us three weeks to figure that out and i think it's really hurt trevor because you put so much on his shoulders and I think that he can carry it and he can, and he's going to improve and he's going to get there. But that's something that should have been factored into the offense way before it was. It should have been the first thing that they went to in week one. I mean, run the ball until somebody stops you, then let the quarterback go out there and make some plays. Yeah. Now, offensively, my only other gripe really from this one, how the hell did LaVisca Chanel not get targeted until the fourth quarter? I I mean, I do not. It's beyond me, especially after, you know, Urban Meyer is focused on that from his press conference. It it baffles me. And then you see what happens when you get the ball in his hands. You get a 58 yard play. Trevor hits him deep over the middle. He breaks five tackles, the last of which was him just stiff arming a uh, Titans defender into oblivion uh, before he finally goes down. I mean, this guy, I, I can't believe they didn't get him the ball more. Yeah, and especially after a chart goes down and, and you have, you know, you, you have to find somebody to replace his touches and it has to be LaVisca Chanel. I mean, he's he's got the most, I think, broken tackles on receptions by a wide receiver in the NFL. He makes guys miss. Yep. He has the highest motor. I mean, every time you get the ball in his hands, he's got a chance to really make a great play. And like you said, the fact that he didn't get the ball more, it, it's really just a head scratcher for me. I just really, I don't understand. It's like, it's right in front of you. These decisions, these things, they're right in front of you. It's not like you have to create some way to get him the ball. Cause you know, defenses are, you know, keying in on him and, and double teeing him. We're not there yet. Just give the man the ball and let him work. Yeah. Now I did want to get your take on that 53 yard field goal attempt towards the end of the first half. Again, this is a guy that has never made a kick from 50 yards. Never made a kick from beyond 46 yards. 
Urban Meyer said he saw him do it in practice, but I mean, practice is a lot different than a game. He's never done it. What do you think about that decision? I think in this age of the NFL and in this age of kickers, a 53-yarder is really not anything to drop your jaw at anymore. I think that's more of a not having a right guy type of thing. How many kickers are out you there right now? You should know that, right? Should you you not should. Know that? You should know that. You should know that. I agree. However, he's on an NFL roster. This is not a kick anymore, like I said, that drops your jaw. This is not one that you look at and go, oh, man, this one's up in the air. This almost is automatic in today's NFL. I mean, really, it is. These kickers have just become absolute studs. I really do think that, that the kicking game has evolved so much over the past five years, but I think this really boils down more to the personnel decisions. If you aren't confident in that guy to make that kick, obviously you don't send him out there, but you should have somebody out there who you are confident to make a kick like that. That's not unheard of in this league anymore. So how many no, kickers I just can't believe they sent him out there to do it. I can't believe uh, they did that. I mean, I, I don't, because he's never done it. <laughs> he's never, the, why is he on the team? You know, that, that's, okay. that's my take. And so I agree with you. Yes. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you at, by any means. You don't send him out there, but you know, at that point in the game, are, are you confident leaving your offense on the field? I don't know where you were at in the game. I mean, three points really would have, been nice. It really would have I helped out. the ball before putting him out there. It, I would have probably gone for it. I, I, yeah, I would, I would have gone for it. I, I wouldn't have punted it. I mean, on that, that short of a field. I mean, and your defense up to that point had been playing pretty well. Derrick Henry really hadn't started, you know, getting going yet. Derrick Henry just winds the defense down. We saw that towards the end of the game. So I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have trotted him out, especially, yeah, if he's never done it before and you're not confident. But something made them either, A, it, it made them confident enough to send him out there, or B, it just goes back up to coaching and just another poor decision. So, I mean, without being in there, I, I can't really tell you without being in their head, you know, obviously what they were thinking. But if it's me, I'd like to see him get in a rhythm first. And I think that's one of the things that the Jaguars have not been able to do with their kickers. They haven't really gotten any cheap uh, cheap shots, any chip shots, you know, any, any like a quarterback has to get, you know, a couple throws to really kind of get in rhythm. I think kickers need the same thing. You know, they need to be confident in themselves and especially not ever playing in league before, not making a kick of that distance. Uh, it's hard to be confident to go out there and, and expect you to make that, you know? Well, Wright did play last year. He did kick four field goals for the Steelers, but not a ton of experience. And, and, and uh, not from that a distance. while. Right. But yeah. And right. No, no experience from that distance. Right. Um, what about Logan so, yeah. Cook? Hold on, before we go. What about Logan Cook? Dude's got a boot. I mean, we've seen punters no before be able to, you know, kind of be a stopgap at times like this. I'm surprised that Logan Cook hasn't even gotten a chance or even a look yet. Maybe he's been terrible. Maybe they have. Maybe they have, and he's been absolutely awful uh, from kicking off the ground. But I mean, the dude's got an absolute cannon of a leg. Don't you think he could probably make that? I've never seen him try it out really, uh, for from any like serious standpoint on the field. But yeah, I mean. In my opinion, they're probably just not wanting to put too much on him, you know? Yeah. Because, and not only if you made him the kicker, then you have to get another holder because he's the holder as yeah, well. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I think that's probably what it is. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you got to try something. And Lambo was the, he looked like he was the kicker on the practice field today. I don't know what they're going to do regarding that. They said they were going to decide today who would kick in London. Uh, so hopefully we'll find that out soon. Do we, do we know what his leave was for? I mean, I know they were having a did, did It was he, just personal. Just So they haven't really, uh, you know, given any insight. It was on just headspace, I yeah. think, you know. I would assume so as well. But he's a very kind of um, 
I don't say philosophical guy, but he, he seems to be very kind of in tune with his mental. So I wonder if he yeah. you know, went off and, and tried to get his head right by doing something or I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about like going and, and seeing like a shrink or anything, but what did he do to clear his mind to get back to Josh Lambeau world, you know, get back to, to being that guy. Yeah. I mean, if they had that guy might be looking at some different results this <laughs> season, but they don't. So uh, until we see otherwise, and we'll find out, I'm sure soon who will get the go this weekend. Urban Meyer said that they would decide at practice today. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see which one which one's out there. Obviously you don't have a ton of confidence either way, but at least with Lambo you've got a shot from fifty three. Yeah. Uh, I mean with Wright, I wouldn't be putting him out there for anything more than about forty five yards. Um so I would lean towards Lambo, but we'll see what they do. Um Okay, so I talked about how I think on defense it's a lot more talent-based issues than it is scheme-based, and the scheme does have its flaws. But the lack of talent in the cornerback room is just startling to me. You've got Shaquille Griffin, who is playing pretty good football. I don't think he's playing elite football or great football. If he had come down with two of the three potential interceptions that he could have made this year, I could maybe be talked into saying that he's playing like great football but uh overall he's playing very well usually covering the opponent's top receiver but the guys after him on this roster my goodness the guys that have been getting playing time anyways tyson campbell didn't play this week but he's given up 80 percent completions uh when he's the primary target or primary defender chris claybrook's 92 percent completion percentage allowed um Trey Herndon is in the high 80s. I mean, those three guys combined have surrendered 44 of 51 targets have been completed on them. I mean, it is just astounding to look at these numbers and how poorly they've been performing. Uh, I I just, it's beyond me. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's it, it's tough. And I mean, when I sit down and look at it, before you get into the numbers, you kind of think, okay, well, not very many teams in the NFL have two really shut down guys and the ones that do have very very stout defenses so you know opposing quarterbacks are going to go after your number two number three guy so to hear that they have a higher completion percentage or have been giving up more plays i understand that but when you look at the numbers like you mentioned high 80s and 90s in completion percentage i mean are you even trying to break up the ball here and and it's really tough when you have a guy like Shaq Griffin who you gave all this money to who you expect to be uh a a shut down standout corner for the most part he's done really well but like you said three missed interceptions this year and not only were they three missed interceptions those were three potential pick sixes I mean two well, of them two of them were two of them were wide open grass in front yeah. of them I mean the third one you can argue a little bit but and, and in those games both of those games, I mean, they would have been absolute game changers. I know we'll talk about the Titans a little bit more as we go, um, but that 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 a pick six against the Titans right there would have would have really changed the direction of the game, especially with the way that the refs, you know, just took the air out of the teams on the first drive with that ridiculous fumble call. I don't know what they were looking at; they were awful all day. Don't want to okay, get into that so too much. The Dan Arnold call? Oh my God! Yeah, what kind of football move was that? Man didn't even take one step, turned around, got hit, balls out. That's an incomplete pass. I mean, that's like the quintessential incomplete pass. They want to talk about balls not being caught for years and years and years, and they've waved off much, much more clear catches than they see this one. And they're like, oh, no, yeah, that's a catch. 
That's a catch, yeah. and that's a scoop for a score. Like, really? On the first drive of the game, to give him seven points like that? That's tough to come back from. You don't just overcome things like that, especially not with this team. This team is not going to overcome, A, their own mistakes, and B, referees just giving the team other points. The other team points, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. To I think it is bang-bang. To me, it seemed like it was not a catch. I don't think – I think you're right about the third step there, the uh, the football move part of the equation. I, I don't think that that happened. I have seen some people come out and say that they did think that was a football move. Obviously, Gene Steratore, the rules analyst for CBS, d- did not believe that that was a catch and fumble. He thought it was a drop as well. Uh, so that was an interesting one. Obviously, it screwed the Jaguars big time. Um, then you've got the Ryan Tannehill um, potential fumble. What did you see on that one? I saw a hand on the ball uh, with the hand moving forward before the ball was released. I mean, obviously, it wasn't a great throw, but I think that was exactly word for word the way the rules written. I mean, he had his hand on the ball. The ball was in his hand coming forward before he lost control of the ball. That's an incomplete pass. I had no gripe with that play at all whatsoever. I don't know what the sideline was thinking. I mean, they were going bananas with with trying to get Urban to throw that flag, and I thought it was pretty clear, even on the big-ass video boards, that that ball was in his hand moving forward. Yeah, Urban said that – I can't remember the name of the guy, but they have a guy upstairs that's just looking at these types of things for them. Um, one of the coaches or one of the guys on staff, uh, he said that that person told him, you know, go ahead and throw the challenge flag. Obviously, the whole sideline was going crazy. I'm with you. I mean, I don't know how you could look at that play and think it's not an incomplete pass. Like, it's letter of the law. Is his hand? Is his arm going forward? Is the ball in his hand? Yes. Okay. Then it's an incomplete pass. Well, I, um, I, I think I think the only argument that can be made, just because I, I think it's right, what you're pointing at right here, I don't think, and again, the timing, seeing it in slow mo, I don't think he was starting the action of the throw as he was hit. Now the hit and the movement kind of moved his arm forward with the ball, but that's really the only argument I could see. But still, if the hand is moving forward, it's going to be considered a throw, in my opinion. Yeah, arm moving forward. Ball in hand, that's a throw. I don't know if that should be the rule, but that is the rule. Um, And then the final play I wanted to talk about here, officiating-wise, the Trevor Lawrence touchdown that got called back where um, it looked like his knee did not hit the ground prior to the ball crossing the goal line. What did you see on that one? I saw a touchdown. That was another play that I hoped we were going to discuss today because that's the team. I'm sorry, the team, the referees, this this team of, of blind referees taking seven points from the Jaguars. They gave seven to the Titans. They took seven from the Jaguars. I mean, it's just, it's really tough. It's really tough to see that for this team. I, I think he was very clearly in. Um, I was at the game, so I didn't hear Steratore talk about it, but I did see that after the fact. I mean, he gave two different reasons as to why the replay showed that it was a touchdown. He was very confident they were going to overturn it. They want to talk about shadows. We were wearing teal, teal, teal pants. Like how, how, how do you differentiate that from a shadow? How do you get yourself confused with teal pants and a shadow? I mean, that was just, I think he was blatantly in. I don't think it was even close. Uh, and and it, it, it's really frustrating that they had to go to review for these things twice. And still, in my opinion, got very blatantly wrong calls on the field to stand. I, I it boggled me. It really did. Yeah. 
It's pretty crazy. Obviously, most good teams are over over to are able to overcome these sorts of things. But when you're talking about 14 points, that is really tough. I don't care what team you are. Um, and then you had the uh, no call on the p- pass interference. It was pretty clear in the back of the end zone. Dan Arnold was wide open. The guy tur- twists his body before the ball arrives. So that was frustrating, but a, a frustrating day overall officiating wise uh, for the Jaguars. But this is the type of thing that bad teams they can't overcome, unfortunately, and I don't know who would have overcome the 14-point swing the officials gave the Titans, in my opinion. Um, so sticking on defense, we were talking about the cornerbacks. Andrew Wingard, I think his play has fallen off a cliff as well. Um, in terms of tackling among starting safeties, he has missed the second most tackles in the NFL. Um he seems consistently slow to get to the boundary when he's playing in the deep third or uh, playing deep zone. I just don't think he has the physical ability to get the job done at this point. And there's a guy on the bench named Andre Cisco who you took at the top of the third round who has all the physical, excuse me, physical ability in the world, and yet he's not getting any playing time. I'm just baffled by what's going on with that. Yeah, to keep Andrew Wingard on the field is just a slap in the face to the defense, to the fans, um, to the Jaguars organization, to the city of Jacksonville, to the National Football League, to anybody who watches football, to anybody who knows the word football. I mean, it's just a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. And watching the film back from that game, it looks even worse. He wanted absolutely nothing to do with Derrick Henry. Very clear play on the goal line where he's supposed to fill that hole and he just let him go right by. I mean, Andrew Wingard is doing himself no favors. I mean, this is a guy that we, you know, that no, I say we, I mean them because I absolutely wanted no part of him being on this team based on his past performance, but they gave him another chance. A guy that we kept over the likes of Colin Johnson, a guy that we chose to keep and instead trade Sidney Jones, and a guy that we continue to play over Andre Cisco, who we were all elated about absolute ball hawk, stud of a safety. It just, it's, it's mind boggling. It's blowing my mind. The decisions that are being made. And the more that we talk about it, the more it's just coming to light that this is just poor, poor choices by the coaching staff. How do you look at this? Look at this man and, and the way that he's been playing and keep him on the field, especially in games. You have these tablets now. You can look at this stuff in game. You see what's going on. Why is he still on the field? He's an absolute liability. Yeah, I think it's just an organizational failure from the top down to understand what is happening uh, on the roster who needs to be where? I mean, this along with the Miles Jack situation is just like, uh, I don't know how it could be more obvious for you to fix this situation or to attempt to fix this situation. Uh, it's crazy to me. And then um, Nevin Lawson, who the Jaguars signed after week two, he got um, 13, 20 snaps, something like that. Eight total coverage snaps. I watched each of them. Guess what I saw him do that I have not seen another Jaguars cornerback do all year? Please say Whirly Bird. <laughs> no. I saw him cover a crossing route. Oh. oh. Shallow crosser just stuck with the guy the whole way. What a concept. right? What a concept. Oh, my God. Yeah, I saw him do that? Get phys- yep. Saw him get physical on the outside a couple times with his man. Uh, I think you got to insert him into the starting lineup next to Shaq Griffin. At oh. this point, you got to try. 
you could put Logan Cook out there, Matt Wright, to play cornerback at this point. It couldn't be any worse, right? You've got to see what you've got in some of these other guys because what you've got right now just isn't cutting it. We knew that we were kind of going to be in a hole um, on the cornerback, in the cornerback room. And I, just the questionable decisions that were being made. Now, yes, Sidney Jones has not played great in Seattle. He has not he played. He still has played better. He's played better. And, that, and right. And, and you, anybody can play better than these guys. I'm convinced. I mean, you and I could go out there and suit up next Sunday. We'd probably give up just as many receiving yards as these guys. I mean, look, I can probably go out there and knock down at least one ball at some point, right? Maybe. Who knows? But these guys aren't going to get done. And it's just, it's it's insane. It's, it's keeping the whole team back. It's It's holding the defense back, especially when they're doing so well in the run game. So so well in the run game. I mean, you hold Derrick Henry to 31 yards in the first half, 31 yards in the first half. Go back and look. I, I want I'd, I'd love to go back and look at every game. The Titans have played with Derrick Henry. How many times has he been held under 32 yards? Let's, let's round it to 35 and a half. How many games have they won with him doing that? Probably not very many. Yeah. It just, ugh, man, it just, you want to just slap yourself. You want to just slap yourself. You you have got to start, you know, let, let's rotating guys, go sign some guys off the street, move some guys around the practice squad, find something that works because you you quite literally almost cannot get any worse than what we're seeing on the other side of the ball right now across from Shaq Griffin. When you have a, you have the clear opportunity, play Nevin Lawson, see yeah. how it goes. It can't get worse. Play Andre Cisco, see how it goes. It can't get worse. And with Cisco, you know, maybe just maybe this guy who created 14 turnovers in 24 college games could come in and help you do something that you're struggling to do, force turnovers. Yeah, and I, I think another angle to look at this, and it really sucks because I'm not making any excuses for these guys, but the defense has put themselves in a position to capitalize and make some turnovers, and they haven't. And I'd like to see, you know, what has happened after that, you know, when, when you drop an interception. What are you opening yourself up to? The rest of, of the stats going forward on that drive should not be happening. And so you know what I'm getting at? I mean, you're just yeah. you're, you're you're giving the defense I'm sorry, not the defense, the offense extra opportunities to exploit you. And when you already know that you're not that great in the back end of the defense, I mean, the defense as a whole, I don't think is very great, but the up front, the front seven stopping the run, they've played pretty freaking well. But when you take away your opportunities to, to get the opposing offense off the field. Well, of course they're going to make more plays and stack up more stats. And, and that's what we're seeing. I mean, they're just absolutely just doing anything and everything they want. And, and when we have the chance to take the ball away from them, we're blowing it. Yeah. Speaking of stopping the run, uh, Damian Wilson is just such a fantastic run stuffer. Uh, Devon Hamilton really showed out in this one. I think he had four run stops, which were uh, negative offensive plays for the um, Titans. So yeah, you got to be really excited about what you're doing uh, against the run. Obviously later in the game, when Derrick Henry got into the red zone, he was just like a shark. He could smell the goal line. He could taste it in his mouth and uh, he wasn't going to be denied. But for a lot of that game, they really did hold him in check, especially when they weren't in the red zone. Um, so, yeah, very impressed with the way that's going. And you're not going to play Derrick Henry every week. You're going to play him twice a year if you're the Jaguars. So you just have to kind of buckle up your chin strap and get ready to take the pain when you're going to play against him. But you're not going to play against anybody else with that type of physicality. Um, so you got to like that. 
just get Andre Cisco and Nevin Lawson in the game and see what happens. You got to try it out, in my opinion. And my final defensive note here, they're consistently running plays that, and not so much on the back end, I'm talking about what they're doing up front, trying to get home, trying to affect the passer. On third and medium, you're sending four guys often, which does not constitute as a blitz, obviously. Four men as a regular rush. But the issue here is you have a outside linebacker, one of the guys that's on the ball, dropping into a shallow zone, and Miles Jack trying to take on an interior offensive lineman heads up, straight up. And unless you're creating number a numbers mismatch, Miles Jack is not going to win that matchup a lot of times. Uh, he's, he's not a pass rusher. Yeah, he can beat you if you've got other things going on, but when you've only got a four-man rush, one of those rushers is Miles Jack trying to force his way through the interior of the offensive line. I just it just doesn't make sense to me, and I'm not sure why they keep running this uh, this type of front on third and medium when you're trying to get off the field. Yeah, no, it, do- it doesn't make any sense because, I mean, you look at it, you drop Josh Allen into coverage. I mean, he is your premier pass rush guy. He is the guy that you expect to go out there and make an absolute impact in the pass game. And yeah, one thing I will say about he is good at dropping into that shallow zone. So I can't take that away from him, but still, yeah, he's your best pass rusher too. Right. Yeah. I'm not I'm not saying that he's bad at what he's doing, but when you take him out of the picture, now you're relying on interior guys who are not going to be the fastest uh guys, you know, they're not going to be bending any edges uh, to get to the quarterback. That obviously uh, interior pressure is something that certain guys have a skill set for. Certain guys like Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, uh, you know, DeForest Buckner, guys like that. We don't have guys like that. And so you rely on now two interior guys, um, an outside guy and Caleb Von Chason, who has been improving, but is not going to do it on his own, especially if you drop Josh Allen out and take the most feared guy out of the picture. And, you know, guys like Dwan Smoot, who's been playing a little bit better as well. But again, it's not going to be a guy who's going to get home in this scenario. And then, yeah, bringing a linebacker from distance into the interior of the offensive line, it's just not going to get it done. The only way that works is if you bring, you know, a nickel guy on a blitz. You know, you got to have numbers. Right. You have to have numbers and you have to adjust the pressure. You know, let's let's have the offense move their eyes back to the middle of the field as you see Miles Jack coming down and we've got Trey Herndon or, or whoever coming from the outside, you know, outside of the tackle. That guard is not going to be able to get his ass back outside of the tackle to make that block once the tackle is already locked up with the defensive end and you have Miles Jack running right at your face. That's how you create pressure and, and, and create mismatches and create some confusion when you drop a guy like Josh Allen into coverage. Without that, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You and and the defense, the secondary is not going to be able to cover long enough for you to get home with those guys. Yeah. The thing about it is, yeah. Okay. So you're dropping eight guys into coverage. Has that worked for you? No, it has not. So start sending some numbers in my opinion, if you're Joe Cullen, that's why you're here to emulate the Ravens. No, you do not have the talent on the back end to cover, but whether there's seven guys or eight guys back there, they're not getting the job done. So just send somebody else at the quarterback. Yeah, I mean it 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 just it boggles me. And and I know that Urban Meyer doesn't know how to count uh because he was talking about this on the Urban Meyer show yesterday, you know, ab- about sending five guys. Oh, we're trying to bring more pressure and send five guys, but that leaves us in 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 man coverage across the back. What? You know when you send five guys, you you still have six 
right? You still have six back there. And unless they're running five wide or running every single tight end fullback and running back out into cu- into routes, which nine times out of 10, most offenses aren't doing, you don't have to run cover one across the board. You don't have to run men across the board. So, I mean, it, it just, they're not getting it. They're not grasping it. And they're not really doing anything different. You're not seeing different pressures each week. You're not seeing different coverages each week. You're not seeing them try to put new things in that offenses haven't seen yet. They're going back to the same old stuff. Like you mentioned, we've seen it time and time again on film. It keeps popping up on the timeline on Twitter. It's the same thing over and over and over again, and offenses are ready for it, and it's not effective. So you got to do something else. Yeah. Now, before we get to Dolphins talk, there's a bright spot to talk about. Trevor Lawrence, two touchdown passes. His only turnover came at the very last play of the game where they're just trying to get some points. Um, more accurate in this one than he has been, although he did miss a touchdown pass to LaVisca Chenault. Just put it on the outside just a little bit too much for Chenault to go get it. Um, but he had a passing touchdown to Jacob Hollister in the corner of the end zone that was impressive. He had his rushing touchdown. Uh, he had another rushing touchdown that was taken away from him. I think Trevor is getting smarter, get making better decisions, looking more and more comfortable. I just can't rave about how much he's improving, uh, you know, week to week. It's so fun to watch this guy play. He's showing you everything you want to see, and he is progressing far faster than I would have ever hoped or dreamed that he could. I mean, he really is to see him go from week one and week two with some questionable decisions and some questionable throws. We haven't really seen that in the last three weeks. Um, like you mentioned, I, I consider this two games of, of turnover-free football. Yeah, last play of the game, you're, you're hucking one up, and, and it happens, and it's going to happen. But these are two games of, of clean, turnover-free football, making great throws, moving well in the pocket, missed you know one or two here and there, but all quarterbacks are going to miss one or two here and there, and he's still a rookie, and he's getting better, and he's doing everything you could have ever dreamed of with the throws that he's making and and the plays that he's making, his ability to run the ball and and, and extend plays and fight for the extra yardage. I mean, he's, he's a gamer. He's a gamer. He wants to win, and I mean, I think this team is really going to go places with him. I, I don't see anything here that, that – puts up any sort of red flag. I don't think anybody does. Forget the numbers. Forget the numbers. Yeah, he's got eight interceptions. Forget it. Look at the plays that he makes, the throws that he makes, the way he runs his offense, the way he reads defenses. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. The only thing, the only thing I saw on Sunday that uh, really kind of, you know, caught light in my eyes was there was a, a drive. I can't remember. I think it was in the third quarter. Uh, maybe early fourth quarter, uh, but I was sitting in 130 uh, right down there in the corner. So I saw him coming in. They were coming in towards us this way. So I think it was third quarter. Uh, but he, unfortunately, on this play, missed a wide-open receiver uh, in the back corner of the end zone to the right side of the offense. He just never took his eyes off the left side. If he would have just panned over for one second, he would have seen a guy uh, running a, a little bit of a fade uh, from the slot out there. I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Visca, but I can't remember. I mean, just wide open. So when you get down to the red zone and you really get tight into the the end zone, you've got to be able to to really scan quickly because those plays develop so quickly and your window closes so fast. But outside of that, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal from Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, it's so exciting. We can talk all we want about all the coaching issues, the lack of talent in the cornerback room, 
all that stuff. But the bottom line is you've got Trevor Lawrence, and you if you're a Jaguar fan, you should be very excited about the future with this guy. Um, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review on the Apple Podcasts app. It'll help more people uh, find the show and just help us grow our numbers and grow our reach and spread the good word. So Miami's coming up this week. They're one and four. They're on a four-game losing streak themselves. Uh, Tua hasn't played since week one. Uh, He had a rib injury. He was on IR. He is going to be activated for this game, it looks like. So you're going to have Tua, who, you know, another top quarterback, and Trevor Lawrence matched up with each other in this one. So it'll be another game kind of – I don't think Tua is at the same place in his arc as Joe Burrow is at this point, even though they come from the same draft class. Uh, But it's another matchup of two highly touted quarterbacks coming out of college. I don't think Tua is even anywhere near Trevor Lawrence in his arc. I really don't think Tua is progressing the way that they thought he would. Uh, They expect to get him back this week. But like you mentioned, coming off a rib injury, you've got to get to him often. You have got to get there put some hits on him, make him feel uncomfortable. I am really confident, again, that this is a game the Jaguars can win. This is a game they can win. I personally think they should be 2-3 and right now. I really do. Maybe even 3-2 and if we don't get royally screwed by the referees on Sunday, but it is what it is. But I think there are two games the Jaguars very, very, very clearly could have won. And this is a game against a team coming off a four-game losing streak who's not very good who has some big questions at quarterback offensively. They don't really have any guys that blow you away. I know he said that about the Texans, but I think week one is a little bit different. Um, but I mean, a quarterback who really hasn't progressed. You well, he gotta, hasn't played this year. I don't right. think it's really fair to say that. I, what? But he has, even when he has played last year, this year, he hasn't shown you anything that, that shows you that he's going to be that guy, that tank for two, a guy that everybody thought he was going to be. He just really hasn't. Last year, he was coming off of a devastating hip injury. This year, he's played one game. Um, I think it's just way too early to bury him. I do, yeah. Would I rather have Trevor Lawrence than Tua? Absolutely. There's not a question about that in my mind. But you're talking about the Dolphins being ripe for the taking. Guess what? So are the Jaguars. They're 0-5. They haven't won a game. They've been getting smoked in most of them. Obviously, they, they were very close to beating the Bengals um, and pretty close to beating the Cardinals. But... The, the the Jacksonville's not a good team right now, and until they start winning games, they're they're a bad football team. Now, injury wise, uh, Jacoby Brissett he has a hamstring; he was limited. He's probably not going to play anyways because they're getting two back. Byron Jones has an Achilles; he's one of the top corners out there. He was also limited today. Xavier Howard, who was just a pick machine, turnover magnet, and um, in twenty twenty, he was a non-participant in practice today. And so was wide receiver Devontae Parker, who uh, he kind of had a field day against the Jaguars last week on Thursday Night Football. So if you're down Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker, that obviously helps the Jaguars out a lot. Looking at the Dolphins' offense, I'm seeing a lot of spread, uh, just getting four receivers out there, five receivers out there. Um, They haven't been super creative, super fun to watch from what I've seen. A lot of just kind of lining up and what you see is what you get. Uh, Like I mentioned, the quarterback is going to be Tua. And uh, he's going to have to 
go out and prove it, like you said, because we haven't seen the development from him yet, even though he hasn't really had the opportunity to develop. Um, he's going to have to show it against this Jaguars defense that, you know, the secondary-wise, they should be a defense you can take advantage of. And then at running back, you've got Miles Gaskin, who's awesome, excellent little runner. He's smaller, but he's super quick, can do it all really for the Dolphins. But he's splitting time with Malcolm Brown and Savan Ahmed. I don't know why Gaskin's not on the field more. Yeah, I, I, I am a little concerned just with the way, like you said, they run that spread. They get guys outside. They create a lot of space, and they're going to try to run around you. They're going to try to run past you. They're going to try to run in between you. They're going to do some some of that crossing stuff the Jaguars don't cover well. Um, yes, so, they are. And the bunch formations with yep. the rub routes. Yep, yep. They're going to do all of that kind of stuff, things that the Jaguars don't cover really well. So I think it's very, very important that they are able to stop the run. Yeah, Miles Gaskin can be effective at times, but they really don't scare me. That backfield doesn't scare me. And watching the way they've played some other backs this year, I think they could handle it. Yeah, it's, Gaskin for me is more worrisome as a receiver than yeah. a runner. Yeah, the, and, and that is something that you got to take in consideration as well. I think they're going to try to spread the Jaguars out, um, find the soft spots in the zones when they run zone, because I I don't think that, that their zone play this year has been very tight. Um, they do tend to have some soft spots. Some guys like to move. They don't really like to plant in their zone and say that they like to they like to, to flow. And I think especially with the crossing routes, they've been burned so many times. You guys kind of give that extra yard or two uh, one way and, and open up uh, the backside of their zone at times. So that's something that I think you'll have to see and look for. Um, and and they're going to try to use their speed mismatch, uh, you know, to get guys out of position. Jalen Waddle, dude can run if he plays. The dude can run i mean some of these receivers they have out there can flat out run and, and on all these crossing routes and all these you know like you said picks and rubs and all that stuff you know we don't really have a lot of speed in the secondary and when you get them in mismatches with linebackers and, and guys like trey herndon who aren't the fastest they're going to get some separation on those underneath routes yeah they are i'm not sure why jalen waddle They've kind of put him in a box within like 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. This is a guy they need to try to get vertical. But putting him in a box against the Jaguars can definitely prove effective on those crossers, all those little rub routes. Now, I will say, some of these teams that the Jaguars have played, they look really, really good when they're in that bunch formation and they're picking and rubbing. I haven't seen that level of execution from the Dolphins receivers in terms of running it tightly, how you need to run it to really disrupt the man coverage. Uh, so that could be um, less of an area of concern this week if it continues to look that way. But yeah, Jalen Waddle is a matchup nightmare for the Jaguars. Will Fuller, he can also be a matchup problem with his speed down the field. And Devontae Parker is very physical uh, it'll be interesting to see where they deploy Shaq Griffin and who else they get on the field at cornerback to try to stop these receivers. Yeah, I, I think um, the Jaguars are really going to have to win this game offensively. Switching gears here, I think offensively they're going to have to take advantage. And my first thought was run the damn ball. When you have guys like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, um, they just absolutely have one of the best cornerback duos in the league. Attack yeah, them. and they haven't been playing like it this year, but the talent is still there, and they do have the injuries right now. Byron Jones is dealing with the right. Achilles. Howard it, Howard might not play this week. Right, He's a DMP right now. So yeah. that is 
you know, a potential area of concern for the Dolphins if those guys can't go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, the execution hasn't been there, but the talent is there. So anytime they could turn it on. So that was my first thought. But like you mentioned, um, you know, with the injuries, it's kind of going to hopefully give you an extra layer of offense that you can hopefully attack, you know, somebody who's out there that isn't on the field very often, you know, quarterbacks love to go after the guys who come in for injured cornerbacks that could add an extra level to success for this offense, but attack them where they're weakest. And I think they're weakest in the front seven. So I think you got to start with running the ball. And if, if somehow some way you don't see Byron Jones and you don't see Xavier Howard, You've got to have a great game plan to attack the weaknesses on the defense and really take advantage of what they're giving you this week. Yeah, I agree. And um, they're going to be running a base 3-4. Same thing Jacksonville has here. Brian Flores obviously comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Um, So uh, the defenses aren't too dissimilar, uh, although I think the Dolphins do a much better job of mixing it up on the back end than the Jaguars do. And they show they show pressure pretty much every play, and then they'll back out of it or bring it either way. Emmanuel Ogba, he's their top uh, rusher. Obviously, he doesn't kind of match up to some of the other guys the Jaguars have seen, but he can. He's capable of winning some one on ones, and he's been getting pressure pretty consistently this year. So uh, that's a guy that you have to watch. Um, you mentioned running the ball a lot. I agree. I think that should be the Jaguars' goal every week is to come out and just run the ball with James Robinson um, and then get Trevor going that way just because James Robinson is so good at the offensive line is run blocking really well. The Dolphins are allowing 4.4 yards per carry, which is pretty pedestrian. Um, I think it's interesting watching the Dolphins games because I've seen – drives and quarters where the defense looks super fundamentally sound they're playing very well against the run they're able to create push against the run uh they're tackling well but then you see kind of similar to the jaguars they can't play 60 minutes of football right now uh and the second half they're just really struggling so it's kind of two teams that both struggle in the second half defensively uh going up against each other here and I'm not really sure how it's going to go on that front. Um, but, yeah, this is a team that will get gashed in the running game. And I think James Robinson should be able to take advantage of that. Another thing I want to see, if they continue to do what they've been doing here, like the Jaguars, they're only sending four guys on third and medium. Um, I don't know if that's a 3-4 principle that a lot of teams are trying to do right now, just create pressure with four on third and medium and just clog up all the lanes with the extra guys um and coverage but it hasn't been super effective similar to what the jaguars have had going on so it sounds like we're headed for like a 10-7 halftime score with a final score of like 45 to 38 or something like that just an absolute explosion in the second half but you're right i mean two teams that aren't great in the second half i mean you saw the Jaguars uh, you know, take a 14 nothing lead at halftime over Cincinnati, only to be outscored 24-7 to in the second half. I don't have the exact numbers on it for the Dolphins, but I remember them having a pretty decent lead on the Raiders uh, deep into that game and, and blowing that one as well. Man, they, so, they were up 14-zip just like that. Well, there you go. So they had a 14-0 lead, and, and they blew one of those two, and they actually blew that one in overtime. Um, so it took them a little bit longer to give that game away, but nonetheless, they did. So like you mentioned, two teams that that can't 
fundamentally consistently play four quarters of football, who's going to do it first? Who's going to be the team to do it first? I think the Jaguars are slowly getting there week after week. They're slowly getting there. I think if you play the Texans right now, the Jaguars have a really good shot to win that game, and I'd actually probably think that they could. The Texans who just beat the Patriots, right? Uh, they lost the Patriots. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. they ended up losing that game. So the, Oh, the man, they had them for a while. They did. They did. They ended up losing that game. The Broncos were a tough matchup. You know, We obviously know what happened against the Cardinals and against the Bengals and the Titans. I don't even want to talk about that anymore with the refs. But you just see the ability. Dropped 10 points in the fourth quarter and couldn't score any of themselves. <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, you, you yep. see this ability of this team to win games. You, you can see the puzzle. You know where the pieces have to go. You just aren't quite getting them in yet. I think at some point it's going to click, and I think this week it's really going to be who does it click for first? Who can play a complete game of football first? Who can finish off the other team? I think both teams are going to have chances to do that this week. I really do. Um, Who's going to be the team that's just going to come out and, and, and just be superior? There's a lot of things on both sides of both teams. We've talked about, obviously, for the last few minutes, you know, where – the team is lacking, and, and these teams kind of mirror each other a little bit, in my opinion. Who is going to play a complete game? That's really what it boils down to. Yeah, they mirror each other, except for the fact that the – I mean, there's obviously differences throughout the rosters, but I just look at the cornerbacks. If well, Howard and Jones play, I mean, that gives them such a big advantage compared to what the Jaguars are trotting out there at corner. They don't they don't mirror them personnel wise per se, but just situationally and how their seasons have gone. Besides yeah. the Dolphins having a win, that was my yeah. main thing. It's just you know, it, it's really tough to see teams play so well at times and then so not at others. Um, it's really tough. That that's that's something that the Jaguars have struggled with for some time now, and something that they hopefully are done struggling with. Hopefully, we can put that behind us because we've got a tough stretch of games coming up. At some point, you're gonna have to 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 break through that barrier and get that win, and it has to be this week. I think it has to be this week, especially with uh, the lead up that you have. Uh, obviously, you're going into a bye, and then uh, maybe you face the Seahawks without Russell Wilson on October 31st. But after that, I mean, the stretch just becomes really, really tough for this team. I think a win or a complete game with the win really puts them in a better position coming out of the bye week to keep that momentum moving. Oh, no doubt about it. And they're desperate for it. Those guys, and I'll (laughs) give them credit. um, They are playing you know they're not playing 60 minutes of good football but they outside of winger last week they're playing 60 minutes of hard fought football uh they're not quitting throughout games and i think you got got to give a young team a team with a lot of new pieces uh with turmoil going on in the building i think you got to give them a lot of credit for playing hard throughout the games and this is one area of the dolphins team we haven't touched on their offensive line They've allowed the fourth most sacks in football. They are not playing well uh, on the edges. And this is a game where you need Josh Allen to continue his production from week five against the Titans. Same with Caleb on chase on same with uh, Dewan Smoot. These guys have got to be able to get pressure for you uh, against to attack of Iloa. Yeah. You, you just let it out there. It's, it's something that, the team we're playing struggles with and something that we can take advantage of. But unfortunately I feel like we kind of get into that every single week and the Jaguars never step up to the plate and do the things they did that, it last week, in my opinion on the pass rushing side. Okay. Uh, th- again, 
Yeah, uh, last week was tough. I mean, it's so tough because the way the momentum was was just taken got, and given and taken and given by the referees. They got three sacks on twenty passes. So right, that, that's that's a pretty decent right? number. So so okay, so so carry it in, carry it into this because personally that wasn't really a um, facet of victory last week. I mean, if you come out and just totally absolutely just dominate and take Brian Tannehill down every single time he tries to drop back. Then I think you're in a great spot, but obviously, you know the key to, to the victory there was 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 keeping Derrick Henry bottled up, which they did for two and a half quarters. But here, your key to victory, I think, right here is going to be attacking that offensive line, getting consistent pressure on Tua because they're going to try to attack your secondary. And the way to give your secondary a lot of help is to crash and get there and get there often. They have to do that this week. They have to do it. They finally have to put together a dominant game, one that we haven't seen since week one of 2017. I mean, get after the quarterback consistently all day long. Yeah, they got to do it. And um, I think the potential is there to do it. They have not really stacked a lot of great pass rush performances. I wouldn't say they've had a great pass rush performance all year. I think this was the closest thing that they've had to that against the Titans last week, and they need to build off of it. And the Dolphins are a team that, from offensive line perspective, you should be able to continue that success into this week. If you can't, then you really have to look yourself in the mirror after this one. Yeah. Yeah, you you even with the guys out, even with plugging some 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 different guys in, they still have the experience. They still have the continuity along along the offensive line, like you mentioned, to to really put themselves in a position to control this game. And you have to control this game. We've we've talked about you know the easiest way uh, to outscore an opponent is to keep their offense off the field, and I think that's going to ring true again this week. Can you extend drives? Can you keep them off the field? And when they do get on the field, can you attack early, often, and frequent to get them off the field a lot quicker? Yeah. Well, it's about that time, Jeremy. Score predictions. What oh. you got for me? Well, uh, I think the Jaguars are really, really, really reaching for that win. They're really fighting for that win, um, and and I think they get it this week. I think they're able to go to London, where they've historically played uh, decent, um, and take advantage of a Dolphins team I think are still struggling to find their identity and find their winning ways. I think the Jaguars go to London, and I think Trevor puts on an absolute clinic. I think James Robinson, uh, you know, goes completely off and and I think that the defense does a good job of stopping the run uh, and also getting to Tua uh, with a subpar offensive line and I think the Jaguars win this one 38 to 17. I think they go in and they Ooh. put up some points. I do. I think they put up some points this week. I think it's I think it's time. I think they're done. But again, I, the only thing that concerns me is that secondary and the fact that I've 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 we found these ways to win every single week, and they haven't really capitalized on it yet to bring them a win. But I think this is it. I think this is it. The way the team has been improving, the way the offense has been improving, I think there's a lot of weak points uh, on the Dolphins' defense that the Jaguars can attack. And I think they attack early and often. I think they create a hole for the Dolphins that forces them uh, to pass the ball frequently, allows the defensive line to get there, uh, allows uh, this team to make a statement going into the bye week. 38 to 17 Jaguars in London. Wow. I love it. So you're three and two on the season. Uh, Cause we didn't get together last week, but you predicted the Titans would win that one. I took the Jaguars at the last second. So I'm two and three. Other than that, I think we've picked everything the same. Um, you're taking the Jaguars. So if you get this dub, you'll get to four and two, man. I'm going to take the Jags too. 
Um, I'm feeling like this team is moving in the right direction. I have a lot of questions about the coaching staff, what the hell they're doing. Uh, I want to see Andre Sisco and, ne- and Nevin Lawson out on the field a lot more for that secondary. But I just think Trevor has too much momentum, too much confidence, uh, too much talent to to not get a win soon. And I think, you know, just like the Dolphins are sitting around talking about the Jaguars being 0-5 and being right for the taking, you can say the same thing about the Dolphins, who have certainly played worse than the Jaguars over the last few weeks, in my opinion. So, yeah, Jaguars 26, Dolphins 24. Don't feel great about it, but you got Trevor versus Tua. You're going to take Trevor in that matchup nine times out of ten, at least. Um, so, yeah. I'm rolling with the Jags. Two points. Two points. That's a close one. You, th- you think it's gonna be close, huh? Yeah. So I have four touchdowns and two missed field goal. Two Ooh, missed points. God, that's that's <laughs> rough. I see that. Yeah, you can't ever feel too good about it because remember these are the Jaguars. So I feel you there. Yeah, and a shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. That'll do it for the show, Jeremy. You got any final closing remarks? I We're don't. Good to go. I don't, man. We're good to go. Go Jags and. uh with the early game on Sunday, it's either going to go one of two ways. It's either I'm going to have a great Sunday or they're going to ruin my weekend really freaking early. Yeah, 9.30 a.m. kickoff for the Jaguars this Sunday in London against the Dolphins. Enjoy the rest of your week, Duval, and go Jags. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.